Welcome to Medicine for Good podcast. I am your host, Dr. Julieta Gabiola, Clinical Professor of Medicine at Stanford University. What drew me to medicine was the science, the innovation, and the promise for a comfortable life. But what has kept me in medicine are the real people, their lives, and their stories, as well as the translation of medical innovations into practical applications. This podcast will explore experiences beyond the walls and corridors of the hospital, laboratories, and clinics. I invite you to share in our journey seeking to preserve and improve our lives, our sense of balance, and our well-being. Epidemiology is a study of the distribution, frequency, patterns, causes, and risk factors of diseases and events in a specified population and location. Example of diseases are COVID-19, influenza, diabetes, or hypertension. Events can be like bioterrorism, mass shooting, suicides. Epidemiologists are scientists who are called on early in a disease outbreak to find out who has the disease where it started, what caused it, where it is, distribution and patterns of spread in the population. They conduct surveys in communities, facilities, and population, monitor and track diseases, and perform surveillance studies. They then develop guidance for action to slow down the spread and reduce the impact of a certain disease. For COVID-19, The spread is so rapid via respiratory droplets mainly, and to a lesser extent by aerosol and contact. Population most vulnerable are the older adults, 65 years and older, although now emerging in increasing numbers in the younger population. In the United States, it started in the coastal regions, but now spreading through central and rural America. It seems to follow mass gatherings, especially in those where masks are not consistently worn and distancing not universally observed. The sobering trends in the United States, which is about 12 million cases reported lately and about 250,000 deaths and increasing rapidly, calls for a diversified and a cohesive responses from the scientific communities, government, and communities at large. The trends underscore the importance of public policies to help reduce the impact to our country and globally until effective and safe treatments and vaccines become available. As a reminder to all of us, these are the effective ways to control spread and transmission of COVID-19. Number one, masking. Number two, physical distancing. Number three, hand washing. Number four, avoiding crowds and gatherings. Number five, staying home and quarantine when you're sick. Number six, adjusting levers as to opening and closing of schools, businesses, travels, and place of worship. Number seven, attention and commitment to public policy mandates. It's been really a tough year for everyone So we need all of us to collectively join forces for the common good. Let us work together to help decrease the spread of the virus and help one another cope with the impact of the pandemic. Let us extend our patience, enhance our flexibilities, and hope for better days ahead. Happy Thanksgiving to everyone. 
Today, we welcome Mike Friedrichs, who is a chronic disease epidemiologist for the Utah Department of Health. Today, he will help us understand the role of area-level deprivation reinforcing COVID-19 inequities. He will highlight social determinants of health impacting disease outcome. Let us welcome Mike Friedrichs. Good morning, Michael. Good morning. Thank you for having me. It must be fulfilling to do your job to stay there for more than 30 years. Public health is a great career, and I would encourage anyone to go into it. You work with the best possible people ever. I wouldn't have traded it for all the money I could have made elsewhere. I am so excited to hear your views in terms of uh, talking about inequities in health and how we could design resources to impact public health outcomes. And it would be nice to also help us understand what enhanced mitigation strategies we could do to face or coexist with COVID-19. So tell us first and help us understand what is an epidemiologist? Uh, we're the people that just keep track of diseases. We study diseases. We study disease rates, risk factors, behaviors that contribute to disease. Basically, we're the data people in, in health departments. You're telling us you are probably the detectives, right? That's right. Uh, having said that, I would like to understand more about the research that you had conducted with the uh, Department of Health in terms of looking at area-level deprivation and help us understand what is that and how does it impact the ethnic and racial and workplace-based inequities in Utah? You know, we're fortunate in Utah in that we've we've carved our state up into what we call small areas, 99 small areas. And for each of these, we've looked at an assortment of factors, poverty, income, education, household composition, employment, and developed a scale that ranks these communities from the most affluent or wealthy communities to the areas most in need of interventions to, to achieve health equity. And of course, we've seen huge associations with chronic diseases like hypertension, diabetes, addictive and abusive substances, tobacco rates are much higher in, in the more deprived areas. There's differences in infant mortality and life expectancy. So we've known about those kinds of diseases and how they associate with area deprivation for a while. We've been, we've been doing this work for probably 10 years or so. That is so interesting. I myself, I'm involved in chronic disease management and looking at communities in the Philippines where we have a medical mobile clinic and telemedicine to actually follow them on a more sustained fashion compared to what we used to do with uh, doing just medical missions like U.S.-based medical missions going to the Philippines and other areas. We had realized that medical missions were mainly like band-aid approach to chronic disease management and a more continuity and follow-up are a lot better strategies to mitigate the impact of chronic diseases. Taking you back to COVID-19, take us where what you did in terms of the research study and would your results extrapolate with other areas globally or even in the United States? Yeah, you know, we were fortunate to have this infrastructure in place where we had this index where we looked at the community deprivation levels 
And we had seen some association before in about 2009 when we had the H1N1 flu. We saw that it disproportionately affected those communities. We didn't have the health improvement index, as we call it, but we still saw that areas that we knew had higher rates of poverty had more infection with H1N1. And we recently did a a short paper on Legionella disease and found that, again, it was more prominent in areas with higher deprivation. So when COVID-19 hit, we had this infrastructure in place and we tracked it weekly with our health improvement index. It started in Park City, Utah, which is famous for the Sundance Film Festival and skiing and where really affluent people live. But within four to six weeks, it had moved to where by far the highest case rates were in the more deprived communities that were servicing the folks in, in Park City. I see. We are noticing even here in California, COVID-19 incidence is attached to different area codes, and the area codes are basically linked with people with lower socioeconomic status. So tell us more about poverty, income level determinants for the outcome for COVID-19. Well, I mean, I guess, you know, the question is, why are these communities, why do they have more spread? And, you know, we looked at census data and these communities have much higher rates of the kinds of employment that can't be done remotely. They are unable to telework because they're in, you know, industries like food preparation, construction, transportation, those kinds of things. And they're over six times more likely to live in crowded housing where people have more people than they have rooms in their homes. So there's really, it's difficult or impossible for people that are exposed or infected to isolate or quarantine themselves. So it's not that being poor makes you more likely to get sick. It's that the conditions in which you live as a result of of your socioeconomic status put you at higher risk. So in terms of like the implication of your research study in terms of designing public health strategies, what would you recommend for us to mitigate the spread of COVID-19? Well, there's the short-term strategies, which we need to increase testing. We need to work on better options for isolation and quarantine. We need to work with clinics and especially businesses in those areas to make sure they have policies that allow sick workers to stay home. And in public health, we need to do things like make sure we have culturally appropriate messaging or language appropriate messaging in place before it moves to those communities, right? We we tended to react after it hit those communities, which are have high populations of Hispanic persons, and then we translate everything into Spanish. And we know these diseases will move to those communities quickly. We should be out in front of that. And I think that's a lesson learned for us. And we hope to carry that forward in the future. In the long run, and the difficult part of social determinants of health is it is a long run. In the long run, the answer is to work on the reasons why those communities have a health disparity in the first place so that we work on things like affordable housing, food insecurity, minimum wages, things that will improve everyone's living conditions so they aren't living in places that puts them in higher risk in the first place. 
I myself, uh, this is such an eye-opening experience. Uh, we were doing some studies and QI uh, projects at Stanford. And after two weeks of mobilizing that initiative, we realized that we have to change everything to Spanish and translate everything, all the resources, the survey, instructions. So we we're behind. <laughs> so I understand. I think I agree with you that we should be more forward thinking in terms of strategies to not only enhance or mitigate all these public health initiatives, but also be a little bit more forward thinking or out of the box thinkers in terms of possible solutions and translation of what we know to actual solutions to their problems. I would like to ask you, in terms of uh, a message to our listeners, what would that be from you? I think that we all need to work towards health equity. It's not just a function of the health department or the government. Communities need to come together. We need, as a people, we need to make that a priority that everyone has an equal chance to be successful and healthy. And I think that communities, schools, faith-based organizations, they all play a role in that, right? We need to work together as a people and decide that we're really only as, as good as, as the least of us and that we can be better. We can do better. Thank you so much, Mike, for your message. And I really want to thank you so much for participating on our episode for the podcast for Medicine for Good. And uh, more power to you in terms of helping us mitigate chronic diseases and acute diseases, and especially now with the transmission and spread of COVID-19. Appreciate your input. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. Wear your masks, stay home if you're sick, and wash your hands. Thanks so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to Medicine for Good podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please share with family and friends. Rate and review us on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, Acast, and YouTube. Follow me on social media at Dr. Jet on Twitter and Facebook. Meanwhile, stay safe, stay well, and stay connected. See you on our next episode.